Hi, I'm Dr. John Stolopoulos, and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, its very experienced podcast series on the National Disability Insurance Scheme, brought to you by the Sun Foundation. I'm coming to you from the Rosary Land, and pay my respects to the traditional owners and elders past, present, and emerging. But before we go any further, please do me a favor and hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, and select the notification bell so you can be notified of future episodes. Our community deserves to understand what changes the NDIS review will be recommended when they hand down their report in two weeks' time. On today's episode, in partnership with Every Australian Counts, we bring back NDIS review concerns, Bruce Monahan and Lisa Paul to raise with them the concerns that we've been hearing across the community and get loose some answers. Check it out. Hi, Lisa and Bruce. Welcome to the show. Hi, George. Thank you. It's great to be talking to you, George. Great to have you. Look, NDIS participants describe the NDIS as too slow at making decisions, too complicated, and too bureaucratic. How will the recommendations that will be handed down in two weeks' time make the NDIS faster, simpler, and more responsive to the needs of participants? Can I go to the first? Right. Let me explain um, what we've heard and what we're going to be recommending in in relation to uh, the participant experience. It's not just that the NDIA processes are too complicated and they're too bureaucratic. These processes are highly stressful. They traumatise some people and they're unfair. One of the things that we've heard through the review and we've received more than 3,800 submissions is the overwhelming um, feedback from participants and their families that the whole participant pathway needs to be redesigned because it's broken. In gathering information to assist us uh, in looking at the participant experience, we not only have received all these submissions, but we engaged 16 disability representative organisations, including every Australian Counts, to go out to members, to hold workshops, to hold forums, to get information from the disability community about what's working and what's not working. We also convened a co-group to work with the review, bringing together disability leaders in order to really engage on how the whole process for access and budget setting um, and planning uh, should work. And as a result, we've got a huge wealth of information, some really uh, deep insights. Um, and. We think on the basis of that, that a number of things need to happen. The first is that in relation to access to the scheme, the scheme needs to focus first and foremost on 
functional impairment rather than medical diagnosis. And the reason that's important is that those functional impairments can then reflect the many different disabilities that people uh, might experience. And in that way, it's going to be much fairer in terms of uh, accessing the scheme. So we need to get away from a system that has focused up to now on primary diag medical diagnosis rather than on uh, functional impairments. When it comes to the budget uh, and planning process, we think there are a number of things that need to happen. The first is that we think we need to separate uh, budget setting from budget implementation. The process of planning has made all of this um, very, very confusing. The second thing is that the budget should be reasonable and necessary as a whole. That was always the intent of the scheme. Instead, what we've had is a sort of line by line approach to setting the budget, which has not actually been about planning. It's actually been a negotiation, which has been really stressful uh, for participants uh, and their families. And it's also been very unfair because some people have come with a long list of items they wanted out of the price guide and others have come with relatively modest lists. Some people have come with supporting information, expert reports, and others have not been able to afford that. Uh, so we think that's a very important area of change. The third area is that budget setting should first and foremost focus on support needs rather than functional impairment. And the reason that that's important is because there's not a one-to-one -one relationship between a person's functional impairments and their support needs. So someone can have high physical capability, but if that's combined with um, an intellectual disability, it can lead to actually higher support needs. The fourth point is that the information that is collected needs to be comprehensive. It needs to come from participants and their families. It needs to come from uh, treating professionals. And then additional information needs to be assembled through that whole budget setting process to make sure that it's comprehensive, that it's fair. And if additional reports are needed to support budget setting, these should be commissioned and paid for by the agency, removing a major source of inequity in the current scheme. The fifth point that we think is important is that the assessors, the people who will go through the budget setting process with participants, need to be well qualified, have proper training, and above all else, must have enough time. We're thinking about a process that's going to take hours in order to complete. And that uh, process of collecting information should happen where participants want it to happen. So if it's in people's homes, that's where it should be. And that, of course, would mean that the process can properly take account of environmental factors. The next point is that we would hope that this assessment process would be sufficiently comprehensive to underpin long-term plans, but also uh, be forward-looking in the sense that if someone's got a progressive medical condition, that that could be taken into account and so it could anticipate um, future needs. Um, and then 
it should be the person undertaking the assessment who should convey the outcome to the participant. It needs to be personalised compared with what we have today where recipients just receive a letter uh, in the mail and that letter may be no resemblance to what uh, has been discussed. Once someone's got their budget, then the detailed planning should begin. Uh, some people, and I would include you in this, probably don't want a detailed plan because you know how you want to organise your life, how you want to get on uh, and spend your budget. But some people uh, will want access to that sort of uh, navigator to assist them, support coordinator, to assist them with how they might uh, implement their plan. Everyone should have access to a support navigator and that person can then assist the, uh, the person to make sure that the budget uh, delivers the best possible outcome for that individual and is truly uh, individualised. We also want to get rid of some of the restrictions that have applied uh, when people have got their budget, you know, so that there is much more control and choice uh, within plans uh, so that um, people don't find they've got budgets allocated to support categories where they don't actually want to spend any money. We think there should only be uh, four or five categories, combination of core supports uh, and capacity building. Uh, secondly, SDA. Thirdly, uh, supported independent living. Uh, and fourthly, uh, high cost technology. Uh, obviously, this is a big change we're talking about uh, compared with where we are now. I said earlier, we've engaged deeply uh, on how this should look, but we would anticipate after the review that there will be further deep engagement with people with disability and their families to ensure that the sort of processes that we're talking about will work on the ground with people in ways that they understand. Part of the reason for the deep engagement is to obviously get the processes right, but the other part is to make sure they're transparent because it's only when processes are transparent that people uh, will trust them. And the final point I would just make about the whole budget setting process, setting of what's reasonable and necessary is that as much as possible, we would like to see the processes that are being used by the agency codified in the rules and in the legislation. Because what that will mean is it's also transparent. And if people are unhappy uh, with those rules, they of course can be challenged through um, the federal court. And then if the federal court provides a different interpretation on those rules, then it's then up to governments to decide whether they accept that uh, or change them. So a key, uh, so some key elements that we're proposing is a much simpler process, a fairer process, a more transparent process, and one in which not only have people with disability and their families and representative organisations been deeply engaged with to now, but that needs to continue after the review. There's a lot there, Bruce, in what you just said. Um, just so um, all of our listeners and viewers understand, um, I'm hearing um, that there's going to be a, uh, an assessment process that will decide on an overall budget 
that questioned it is on the lines of everyone is, how is this going to be any different to independent assessments? I thought you might ask that question, George. I mean, I guess, first of all, I would say, having been at the forefront of the fight against independent assessments, uh, I'm not in the process of co-chairing a review which is going to introduce anything like uh, independent assessments. The key points that I would draw out is that this process uh, will be transparent. People will understand it. And a lot of work has already gone into ensuring that it's going to be valid, but a lot more work needs to be done to make sure that it's valid. People uh, will uh, be able to provide a lot of information to this. It will be based on support needs rather than on functional impairments. One of the problems with independent assessments was that it was based on uh, functional impairments, and that's not the right basis. The other critical difference that to emphasise here is that independent assessments was a shortcut process. It reflected a view that you could undertake and understand the needs of a person with a disability in a very short period of time. This is a comprehensive process that will ensure it gathers information equally and above all else, we'll have people who are trained and have enough time to undertake it. So I think it is vastly different to what was being planned with independent assessments. I think the other point to note though, is that everyone has told us that the process for budget setting in particular is broken. And so we do need to make some changes and what we're trying to do is to say, here are the foundations for those changes and here are the ways with this particular focus on support needs and enough time to get the information with the agency paying for additional reports if they're required, if the assessor being able to be part of a multidisciplinary team if that's required. These are all vastly different to what we had with independent assessments. Who will conduct the assessment? Will this be the NDI itself? Well, we would see these people as uh, employees of the agency um, or um, contracted to the agency, but they should be employees uh, of the agency. They should come from a variety of backgrounds, allied health, social workers, those sorts of things. So they should have appropriate uh, professional training. Um, they should be multidisciplinary um, and they then need to be very well trained in the particular processes that everyone has agreed is the right basis on which um, to assess the needs of a scheme that now covers 600,000 people with very diverse needs, very diverse um, in, in circumstances in terms of their environments in which they live uh, and very different ages. So, you know, it, it's we're really talking about a, an investment in this process because without that, you'll neither have a sustainable scheme nor a fair scheme. And that's what we've all fought for. And what would you say to someone listening at home who's feeling that they might not trust the government or a government employee to do their assessment? Well, I, I think what I what I would would say to people is that 
it will take time. One of our uh, core um, terms of reference uh, for uh, this review was to restore trust. And in order to restore trust, it's really important that processes are transparent. You know, one of the issues that we've had is that um, processes to date have not been transparent. You know, there have been a lot of, uh, you know, under the current structure, you've got legislation, you've got rules, you've got operating guidelines, and then you've got the delegated authority of the CEO. A lot has changed in the way the scheme has operated without any change in the rules, or without any changes in the operating uh, guidelines, which is one of the reasons why I've made the point. We need as much as possible as part of this process to push the um, uh, processes up into the rules. And if they're, uh, you know, if the assessment is not undertaken in, uh, uh, as set out in the rules, and obviously that's the basis on which uh, someone could appeal against this process. But we would hope that um, over time people would get to trust um, what's being, what what is happening here. It needs it to be really, fair. It will, it will really come down to having the right people, the right training, and the right leadership. I think. Absolutely, and then the right processes. Um, you know, all those things uh, need to be right. And of course, we have seen a major and very important change in the leadership uh, of the NDIA. We now have a board with a majority of people with disability, and they, of course, will be vitally interested in ensuring that these processes um, are fit for purpose. And as will the Independent Advisory Council, and I know you're a member of that, and so you and others will be um, watching this all very carefully to ensure that um, people can have confidence in what changes might lie ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not trying to do Lisa now. Um, um, I know that you've introduced a new term, and that term is foundational support. Can you explain what that means and why we need a new jargon word in our NDIS vocabulary? Hey, George, it is so great to be talking with you today. And I just wanted to point out that as we started this journey a year ago, our first uh, outing was with Every Australian Counts, and now here we are back again with you. So it's great, and thank you so much for the invitation. And I think this will be our last the last gig we do before the report comes out. So thank you very much. Hey, I just wanted to add to the last question, um, which is further to Bruce's points and your questions, George, about uh, who does the assessment um, and how do we restore trust. I also just wanted to emphasise that we are recommending um, that once you've got your budget, then you've got a support navigator who is not a staff member of the agency um, and who is your agent uh, to help you work out how to spend that money. On, um, on foundational uh, supports, yeah, yeah, well, it's a new 
piece of jargon, George, I'm sorry, but that's because, let's face it, the whole ecosystem for supporting people with disability has not done uh, what it was supposed to do. And when we talk about Tier 2, which was supposed to be the supports that are for every person with disability, um, we look around and we think, well, where's Tier 2? You know, it just isn't there. And we heard from so many people that the promise of the NDIS that individualised budgets would sit in a bigger ecosystem of supports for every person with disability has just not been realised. And, in fact, in many areas has gone backwards because the state governments, you know, rightly put their money into the NDIS but then had to close down some of the services they'd offered before. So we've decided to call out what it really is, and that is that the supports that should be for all people with disability, in other words, the one in 50, uh, not just one in five who are in the NDIS, should be what they're supposed to be, and that is foundational. They should just be available for all people with disability. Um, and and the mainstream services, you know, like schooling or a health system, etc., should be uh, also much more inclusive um, and accessible. So we decided that we might as well call it out as to what it should be and then make recommendations about that. Yeah, I can see the merit there, but we have been advocating for accessible and inclusive mainstream systems for a very, very long time. What's going to be different this time, Lisa? Yeah, well, very good question. Um, And we can only hope that we've done the very best job we can and then it's over to others to actually make it right. Uh, So in in the foundational supports area, George, we are um, going to recommend more funding, uh, more funding for the sort of things we expected to see uh, in foundational supports like advisory services, um, information and so on. That sort of things that ILC, Independent Living, was uh, promised for and hasn't delivered. Um, we think there's more of a need to support uh, psychosocial, people with psychosocial needs, um, and in particular actually to support children and their families because uh, there's quite a lot of research actually that shows that if you support children with developmental delay as early as possible, even like at six months of age, with their families obviously, um, you get a much better result downstream and that's what parents want, you know. Parents just want help Um, and it isn't there. And so we're recommending on those things. But in addition, you're asking, well, you know, what's going to make this actually happen? And so we've been, we were, of course, really focused on that as well. Um, So I would say that when you see the recommendations, I would hope you would think that they look like a decent blueprint. You know, they're a decent blueprint which goes through what funding should happen, what should happen, who should do it, and by when, and who with, in other words, with people with disability, obviously, rather than just making statements of, you know, wishful thinking. Um, So I think... I hope we've nailed it. I think we um, we hope that all governments together 
take a much more shared approach to mainstream and foundational and uh, and the NDIS. Uh, and if that happens, and I think governments are up for it, you know, I think we'll see real change. There are many people who uh, have written to us and said to us that they're worried that people will fall through the cracks if the NDIS withdraws their support. What would you say to them? So we've been really conscious that anything um, we recommend mustn't add to the existing problem that people do fall through the cracks, right? Um, and so we think that there are some things that need to come before other things. You know, you can't, uh, I don't know, you can't get better support through the NDIS for kids if you haven't got better supports in the community. Um, so there's a sequencing issue to be had here. And the other thing is, of course, implementation of reforms as big as this will take at least five years. So people with disability need to be part of that. Uh, but I, I do feel confident that in what we're recommending and the approach we've taken and, you know, the huge number of people, we've heard from thousands of people, as Bruce said, received more than 3,800 submissions, more than three times the opportunity commission received back in the day. Um, you know, I feel confident that that we we haven't left any cracks, so now it'll be up to people to implement it to get that right. If I could just jump in. George, because um, what we would say is that the support, you have to look at the whole ecosystem here. To date, what's happened is we have had the NDIS sitting as an, as an island disconnected from other service systems and um, without those firm foundations that was always intended uh, when the Productivity Commission uh, put forward its report. You know, so what we're saying is these foundational supports are foundational to the sustainability of the NDIS. They're foundational to fairness because, you know, you, it's not fair that there are people outside the NDIS today receiving virtually nothing when they have support needs and then there are people inside the NDIS. So you have to look at fairness and equity across the whole disability community, not just those who need uh, an individualised package. And then we would say that these foundational supports are foundational to our, the recommendations in our review, that you have to look at them as a package of reforms. And as Lisa said, you need to make sure that these foundational supports come in very, very quickly because they are the foundation on which uh, our recommendations will, will be built. We know that we need to grow the size and improve the quality of the disability workforce. I know that we've made an announcement around differential price caps to address the issue of uh, people who have complex needs and find it hard to get the right staff. How is that going to work Bruce? Uh, look, it's a great question, George. Um, I think what's important here is that up till now, the way the NDIS market has been stewarded has largely been through um, the use of price caps. Um, and really what we're saying is you need 
a much more sophisticated approach to the market. In fact, when you think about the NDIS, it's not just one market. We're talking about multiple markets for different services in different locations. So we're really talking about NDIS markets, plural. And secondly, uh, it's very clear that an approach that's been based largely on pure competition um, hasn't worked. And what that's done is it's led to gaps in supply in some locations and it's led to excessive profits uh, in others. So the first point to make is that we think we need a, a, a series and I guess the sorry there's one other point to make which is that these price caps which were set as price caps are actually price floors something like 90 odd percent of all uh, services are delivered at the price cap. So the idea that there might have been different prices and uh, in markets hasn't uh, actually worked. So the first point is we think we need to replace this sort of blunt approach to price caps with uh, prices that much better reflect uh, complexity of service, workforce training, duty of care and location so that we deal with some of the issues around uh, quality of service deal with some of the issues uh, in relation to uh, gaps in uh, services uh, and have uh, much more effective market stewardship. We also think we need to trial some different approaches because the fee-for-service model, which is what's implicit in having these price caps, doesn't really encourage better outcomes. And so we think there's an opportunity for the NDIA to um, a trial different approaches to setting prices, to generating supply, such as provider panels. But when it comes to some situations, such as remote Indigenous communities, we think that there'll never be an effective market there. And so the agency needs to work with those communities, with people with disability in those communities, uh, so that they can commission services that are culturally appropriate, that are trauma-informed, and get away from what we have today, which is a fly-in, fly-out model or a drive-in, drive-out model. Uh, that's not working. So really what we're saying is that the market needs to be guided much more uh, effectively so as to get better outcomes for people with disability wherever they live and whatever service they need. We're too late today, Bruce and Lisa, for you handing down your report. There are a lot of people who have a lot of hope that things will get better. How confident are you that your review will lead to better outcomes for people? after you hand it down. I feel confident, George, that if if our recommendations are implemented as a whole, holistically, with people with disability at the absolute centre and with an attitude of trust, I believe things will definitely change for the better. I'd just like to add to Lisa's comments by saying we have been literally overwhelmed by the way people with disability have engaged with this review. And I particularly would like to thank the Every Australian Counts community because 
the responses we've had have simply been extraordinary. We could not have done this review without all those insights, without all that feedback, without all that lived experience. So we've been extraordinarily privileged to have this space of information on which to build uh, our recommendations. So the recommendations reflect what we've heard. And that gives me great confidence that uh, they will lead to the changes that people want and need, which bring us back uh, to the original vision uh, for the scheme. We used a tagline uh, when we started this review in order to reflect the sort of engagement uh, that we had been asked to do through our terms of reference, but which we all on the panel have been deeply committed to, which is working together to deliver the NDIS. We believe through this review, we have worked together to deliver the NDIS. We think that working together to deliver the NDIS is essential post-review, and therefore we are entitling our final report working together to deliver the NDIS. And that means that the community are going to continue to be involved in those decisions. Is that what you're saying, Bruce? The community needs to be involved in uh, working through all our recommendations in the decisions that are going to be made. We, the review will not achieve what is needed without further engagement because in a year we've been able to do an enormous amount i think you know through the efforts of the secretariat but more importantly through all the information we've received we've there's a wealth of information here there is uh, enormous insight here but not every detail uh, has been thought about not every aspect has been worked through because one of the things we knew when we began the NDIS a decade ago was there was no international blueprint. We were breaking new ground. We've broken an enormous amount of ground. Australia has been transformed as a result of the NDIS. But that ultimate vision is yet to be realised and we're going to need people with disability and their families and their representative organisations working with government to ensure that full vision is realised after the review is completed. That's what we all want. Bruce and Lisa, thank you for coming on twice onto the show and for engaging with the community. We really appreciate it. And George, can I finally just um, thank you for your leadership uh, as chair of Every Australian Counts. Um, you chair an extraordinary organisation which continues to do extraordinary things for the benefit of all Australians now and in the future. So thank you. Thank you, George. Thank you so much. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary. We love your feedback, so please share your thoughts with us in the comment section below. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.